The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus prayed, I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. The Gospel of the Lord. So this week, this being my my last Sunday... Um, I thought these texts were very, you know, fitting because this gospel text is Jesus' last, is, is what they call the high priestly prayer. It's his last prayer before, you know, the Lord's Supper and then, you know, that whole death thing and resurrection thing. And uh, for me, it's my last Sunday, but uh, I'm hoping uh, no one crucifies me in the next few days. But... <laughs> Matt didn't tell me what, you know, was going on at a potluck, but that doesn't... I've never been to a potluck with that, so I feel like I'm pretty safe. But the texts are wonderful because we get to hear Jesus... We often don't get to hear Jesus praying for other people and to get a glimpse of what it is that he would pray for us, what things, what words he would offer for us. And uh, this week, my wife and I, we've been lugging boxes up and down stairs trying to fit couches that, and failing at it. <laughs> and uh, so we have a couch sitting in the yard where we live because it won't fit in our uh, container. And uh, last night we slept on an a air mattress that lost its air. So if one person gets off, the other kind of shoots up in the air and goes off the other side. And so it's been an adventure. I finally moved to the, the hard floor because it was far more comfortable. But in our, all of our packing and moving all this amazing, the amazing amount of junk that we have accumulated in little time, uh, one thing that we, it was kind of sad to see was our, our dining table. We haven't been able to use our own dining table for two years now because 
we live in small quarters. So the dining table has been shared with a few other people. And so I went and gathered it from uh, my friend's apartment, and we moved it and put it in storage. And as I was putting in there, I was reflecting on this, this passage and reflecting on the things, the meaningful time we spend around a table as families, as a congregation. And at home, I always looked forward to our dinner times as a family because there were seven of us, so there was always going to be you know, some kind of shenanigans. And except for breakfast, when we would put up the little cereal box borders, so you didn't have to see each other eat and listen to people chew their cereal. But dinner time was always a time of conversation. We had about half engineers in our family, and the other half were those flighty humanities kind of people, pastors and library stuff and people like myself. And so there was always good, rich discussion. My dad was always scribbling things on napkins with numbers on it that I didn't understand. But tables are a place where we can gather around and have discussions and have talks, uh, reflect on what we've been doing in the past, talk about what we might be doing in the future. It's a place where conversation is the theme. Conversation is what happens as we eat. Unless the food's really good, then you don't talk, you just eat. But here in church, it's the same thing. We come to this table, we gather around it, We do many different activities where we converse with one another. We spend time, you know, planning the years, having campus master plan task force, having these annual meetings. We have many different ways where we can uh, bond together. We can, you know, have some tensions and go through that. And all of these things are things that families do. Now, this prayer Jesus gives in John is a prayer of unity. He talks about so that we may all be one, as Jesus is one with the Father. And he talks about this language of protection throughout it. And uh, in older translations, it usually said keep. So the idea of protection is one of being sustained by God or being enfolded. And when we think of this passage in terms of how we should understand what we're doing in the world, looking at what guidance Jesus gives for us, what his prayers for our community might be, we see that he wants us to be one. He sees that we are protected and held by God. He sees that we are sent to be sent into the world, not to escape from it, not to climb towards heaven, to get to heaven. It's all about heaven getting in us. And the one thing that is striking in this passage is the fact that the disciples in this passage are praised for once and not messing things up. They're supported by Jesus. He prays for them and and thinks that they're ready to hold the church, to be the church. The disciples, you know, have had their troubles and even after this still have their troubles. But the fact that even though we have this diverse group of people gathered together, having conversation, gathered around Jesus, our center, and that even though we have differences and that some of us and all of us fail, that we are still entrusted and blessed to have this ministry When I went to Yale, I picked Yale because I wanted to go to a school that, a seminary that was uh, ecumenical, that wasn't just Lutheran. I grew up 
very Lutheran. We would open up hymn books at home and sing, you know, out of the LBW and things. That's how Lutheran we were. Garrison Keeler and things like that. But, and then I went to Pacific Lutheran University and got another dose. And then I went and worked at a Lutheran church for about five years doing youth work and music. And so I wanted something different. And going to Yale, there was, uh, it was, it's still Christian, but it's a broad group of Christians and a pretty equal groups of people. And what really, really cemented my idea to go to this school was that worship was amazing. They would worship about 150 on a daily basis, five days a week, and have communion together with all these people. And they had a unique model of worship, of ecumenical worship. There's three ways to do ecumenical worship. The first way is you... Let each group honor themselves fully. Represent their tradition to the fullest extent. You know, if the Lutherans are there, they'll take the ELW or the LBW or whatever that that group is used to and use everything from there and invite people to participate. If it's uh, someone from a praise tradition, they'll have a screen and projectors and everyone's asked to, you know, let go and put their hands in the air maybe if they feel comfortable each person was asked to be welcome to represent their own tradition. But the problem with this is that they are honoring their tradition, but not in a way that outsiders feel like they can be a part. They're just watching. They're spectating this. And eventually, people in that model would just start not going, going only going on the days that related to them. The second way ecumenical worship is done is that you figure out a lowest common denominator that everyone can agree on for worship. Simple, easy language, uh, a select group of hymns that won't offend one side or the other. And that way, everyone can feel comfortable. But the problem with that is there's no depth to it. And it, in fact, dishonors all the other traditions. And especially when you have lowest common denominators, you take the majority group, which ends up being white Protestant Christians. And so those who aren't familiar with this would never feel at home in that kind of worship. So the third model they use, and this is what really drew me to the school, was, was a balance, is meeting with the group, each individual group that would host, and every day would, would be a different campus group or denomination and finding out from them what is central to their tradition. What, is, what can they not do without to be who they are? And then talking with them about what we can do to make that accessible to everyone else in the community, or most people. You'll always have people that don't feel welcome. And so you would work hard on listening to the community and understanding the areas that are uncomfortable, disconcerting, and hard to deal with for people, so that your mission as a church was always to be a host with a complete open outward direction. And that's what I think in this passage, this prayer for unity, for being a symbol of unity in the world, that's why this table is so important to us, because there's nothing required that we just come and receive grace. And this community here from day one has been a gracious community to me, and I've always felt like it is this 
welcome table, and I'm sure all of you had similar experiences. But thinking of ways we deal with each other, following from these three models of ecumenical worship, a lot of us will lift ourselves up so much that we ignore those people that might be uncomfortable by the way we present ourselves. Others might just try to be as easy as possible that you have no clue what they're talking about in the end and what they really believe. But as a church, forming an identity that is true and passionate about who you are, who we are as a Lutheran church, who others are as Episcopalian Catholic, that's something that can be shared But the key is always thinking of those people that aren't at the table. When we eat together, sometimes it's difficult to see and reflect on who's not with us and who is with us, who has the place of prominence and who does not. And Paul was continually uh, getting after those Christian communities for reestablishing old orders where somebody was in more power than another and ignoring the fact that it should be equal. And that in order to do so, we have to do the hardest act of justice as Christians, and that is being willing to listen, and listen in a way that takes us out of where we are comfortable as people. But the beauty of it is, the more we listen, the more we think of ways that our church is welcoming to people that aren't here, the more that our church is for others, not just ourselves, the more diverse and wonderful and colorful the picture will be around the table. Like these many, these quilts of all these colors put together by our, lovingly by our congregation for our seniors. We know that in this prayer from Jesus, in this prayer for unity, we know that that prayer didn't just, you know, wasn't said once and stopped, but that Jesus continually prays for us. And just as we have language of protection of keeping us, we know that Jesus enfolds us constantly in this hope that Jesus wraps these, a wonderful colored quilt around us, surrounds us, and sends us out to be welcoming people as our central calling. That is how you create justice, is to be welcoming, to be open and to look for places at the table for everyone. Amen.